Theorizing that podcast audiences wanted to listen to two grown men talk about time travel, Nate Bowden and Brian Martin started a show dedicated to Quantum Leap. Together, they explore NBC's revival of the franchise, starring Raymond Lee and Caitlin Bassett, and its connections to the original series. They also examine spin-offs, such as novels and comics, as well as some mirror images in the form of television shows and movies that share creative DNA with the adventures of Sam Beckett and Ben Song. And so Nate and Brian find themselves leaping from topic to topic, striving to make sense of it all, and hoping each time that their next episode will be the one that goes viral. Oh boy, it's a Quantum Leap podcast. My name is Nate, and he awoke to find himself trapped in this podcast. (laughs) It's Brian Martin. If only. The woke implies that I was sleeping at some point in the last like 48 hours, and I don't believe that's happened really, so. (laughs) Yeah, well, buckle up, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Two hours of a finale. And I got to tell you, the two episodes of Quantum Leap we got this week didn't have to be this good to make it to the top of my week. I just want to say (laughs) (laughs) they could have tried 50% of what they did and still probably been the best part of the week for me. (laughs) That's a ringing endorsement right up front here. Like I said before we started recording, I'm not even sure how we tackle this, how we jump into the season finale here. There's so much to unpack. I told Nate I have 11 pages of notes sitting in front of me. I don't know how much of this is valuable. A lot of it's like just stream of consciousness. Stream of consciousness writing. Yeah. Lots of oh shits, all capitals. Before we even watched it, you shared with me a quote from one of my favorite comic book writers. Certainly one of my favorite writers as well. You want to talk ringing endorsements. This is the first thing I saw when I woke up Wednesday morning from comic book writer Mark Wade of Kingdom Come of Fantastic Four fame. He's currently writing Superman, Batman, World's Finest at DC. He's got a big event coming up this summer. He reinvented the Flash. Yes. Oh, gosh. That was, I mean, years and years going back now, but that's where I first heard of him. Incredibly prolific writer, and this is what he had to say about the finale of Quantum Leap. I don't have to use all ten fingers to count the number of TV shows that have so perfectly stuck the landing on a season finale, but the new Quantum Leap is one of them. Perfect in every way. No spoilers. I'm dead serious when I say I'd give a week of my life to have written something that smart with an ending that was utterly surprising and at the same time only in retrospect the only possible way the story could have gone. Not enough people understand just how hard it is to pull that off. And we read that before we watched the show. Before we watched the show, yes. So I don't know if that raises expectations or... I guess that's a good place to start. Does it live up to that quote? I read that and I was like, wow. Can't get much more authoritative to me in a situation like this than Mark Wade in genre storytelling like this. Right. And so did it raise the bar in terms of my expectations? I feel like if it did anything, it put my mind at ease. Oh, that's a good way to put it. A lot of the things that we were talking about last week, a lot of the things like 
the fears we had that the quantum chip storyline went nowhere and Gideon right. Ridge, who the hell was this guy? He was supposed to be Jeffrey. All of the complaints we had last right. week, I well, felt much more at ease. Not even that I had anything confirmed for me necessarily. If Wade liked it, I have to believe something has happened here. You yeah, know? either that or I was wondering, well, what did he think of the prior two episodes? Because here's the note that I... That's what I would love to know. Yeah. I would love to know what he thought of the season overall. I feel like most of us are going to say that this finale is successful, right? Sure. So in the event that this finale is in fact successful, does that make us wrong about the way we were feeling about the last two episodes? That's a great question. That I mean, that's a really good question because here's the thing. And Wade's quote reflects this. A lot of the stuff we were grousing about previously, we just needed to be patient, right? The show was like, yes, yes, we know. Kind of. Right. Yeah. Kind of. Now, I will say, no, I don't think the last two episodes were great. Right? I still well, think the last two episodes were not the best episodes, especially the family treasure one. Right. And I don't think any sort of finale changes the fact that those were weak episodes of this show. But one of the things that but, we hated the most, I mean, I can go back. I was so put off by the end of this episode. You know, he comes in. Gideon just starts looking around. Oh, hey, Jen. Oh, Ian. Well, how did you get in here? And I put here, hate, hate, hate this. Jen sucks. And I felt the same way. And I'm just thinking, well, aren't we sitting here with egg on our face? What does crow really taste like? That's folks? what I had. I, what <laughs> I had written in my notes was, Nate, how much crow do you intend to eat? Yeah. And I think that's it. All right. So that ending. No, that has changed. That has been recolored. And I think part of the reason I hated it was because this guy's acting like a petulant child. And now we understand why his characterization as a petulant child is because he is still very much a petulant child. Right. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of this here. I feel like if we do, it's going to be really easy to breeze past as the world burns the first hour of the finale. Yeah, which we definitely don't want to do. Because I don't want to I, do. That first hour doesn't really tie the bow, but it really starts to close that relationship with Hannah. Yes. You know, you get the more yeah. closure in the first episode than you do in the second. But before we jump off this idea of just how wrong and horrible we were to think... <laughs> <laughs> to think so poorly of the writers of this show, I felt really bad about the way I had been reacting to those episodes. You know, like, boy, they really showed me. What do I know? All the way up until the time I sit down to record this. But now that I'm sitting here behind the microphone, I'm going to defend myself to myself a little bit. Because if that wasn't a universal reaction, I'm sure I wasn't the only one that had it. I'm going to challenge you here. I feel that you and I reacted precisely the way they wanted us to. I think they played us. I think they made Gideon's introduction and personality the most abrasive thing possible because they wanted to thrust us into severe distaste. Maybe. They wanted to provide I... us with a visceral response. <laughs> 
Well, they definitely got that. I think you run the risk, though, of being that upset with the show. What if you had just stopped watching? We were really not happy about that. And I don't think it was necessarily, for me, the way that he was acting so much as how the reveal came. It was The so, reveal was just very limp. It was exactly the reveal. Limp? <laughs> limp? Uh, <laughs> I was, well, I was going to say flaccid. <laughs> the point is, there is no energy. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's just... And it was so ineffectual. Yes. Because they s- spent so much time setting it up at the beginning that when this guy actually appeared, you expected it at that moment to be something. And instead, I don't think we were giving the writers enough credit but based on the way the finale worked last year. Can you blame us? Right. Is the exactly. way, can you blame me is what I, because you liked that finale okay. If I, I You know what? I want to reassess that finale now. Because now that I've seen what this show is actually capable of. Yeah. By comparison. I Well, there is no comparison. That first finale, those were the writers I thought I was judging. Yeah. And yes. most of this season has lived up and been really good and right up until these last two episodes that take it or leave it have been kind of a downturn one of them's just kind of a reskin of an older episode and the other was you know family treasure just didn't land the way they probably wanted it to but if that was their intention to get a rise out of us on those two episodes as you're implying then sure okay they got us (laughs) but i don't know if that's the way you want to reveal the character. I still don't disagree with that, but I do think that at that point in the season, I'm not sure anybody who was watching the show up to that point would have gotten there and said, I'm out. Because there have been so many good parts of the season, and because Ben and Hannah, that story has not resolved yet. You can't dip now. You have to stay. That's right. You're right. I just feel like if nothing else... This was a writing staff that was more confident and assured and overall had the wherewithal to back it up. With the whole season behind us now, there have been, yeah, a few spots that (laughs) stand out as as weaker. But there are dips. But but when I look back, I'm thinking like, that was fun. That was great. That was fun. That was fun, you know? Yeah. And this is all stuff we can tackle next week when we're doing our... Uh, recap. We'll recap do a season. season. But, folks, I have notes and critique, but I can't call Mark Wade a liar on this one. I think they landed their story. How are you feeling? I mean, yeah. The thing that Wade says that absolutely rings true to me is the idea that Everything ends in a surprising place that was absolutely telescope the entire season. And it's the difference to me between being predictable and being logical. There are a lot of story elements this season that we saw coming from very far away. Mm -hmm. The DARPA code, Gideon Ridge's identity. But the finale presents everything in a way that makes it feel rewarding instead of well, you know, we saw that coming. When I think back about it, not a whole lot of the reveals were surprises. Like, we were all sitting here thinking, 
It's supposed to be Jeffrey, <laughs> you know? With one, yeah, I mean, and, we were yelling it. And as soon as the DARPA code came up. So if they meant for that to be a surprise, then no. And it's about weaving threads together. They put the DARPA code up that they wanted that to be a surprise. No, we kind of had that one figured too. Can you imagine if the Martinez story had resolved like this? That season finale would have been an all-timer too. It's successful and really was the only way this story could go. Normally you lead me on a structure in these podcasts because my we notes just are kind of dive right in. I do want to go I, I do again, I don't want to shortchange what is it? This girl is on fire. Oh, as the world burns. That's a way better. <laughs> this girl's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to shortchange that. I do want to get in and talk about what each episode was and kind of talk about the highlights and stuff, but it's just I I guess what I was the only thing I was gonna say is do you want to give it at least a little outline <laughs> for the first yeah, half well, yeah, of this? Yeah, for sure. Where did God, Fader Time, leave Ben at the start of our season finale? As the World Burns, written by Benjamin Robb and Derek A. Hughes, names we've heard before. They recently wrote One Night in Koreatown. They wrote Paging Dr. Song. They wrote Salvation or Bust. All our favorites. <laughs> <laughs> And then directed by Pamela Romanowski, who directed Secret History. That was one of my favorites. Which was one of your favorites and one that I intend to go back and reassess. Because I think it was better than I gave it credit for. The year was 1974. Ben is a firefighter, to which he remarks, cool. <laughs> like, I love it when Ben is just like a, a kid. Yeah. He's like, cool, I'm a firefighter. Cool, I'm an astronaut. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm a super spy. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I'm a cowboy now. <laughs> His name is Otis Burton. He's a husband, father, and 20-year veteran of the Baltimore Fire Department. He's retiring soon, to which Ben says, I've seen enough movies to know that doesn't end well, uh, which is a great line. That is um, a good line. Ben leaps in while assisting with a minor situation involving a shorted-out circuit board that is smoldering, but soon finds an entire apartment building engulfed in flames as he tries to save, frankly, a few assholes and a couple of very special people. Meanwhile, Team Quantum Leap reels from Magic's departure. Jen gets an exceedingly questionable promotion. <laughs> and Ian inches ever closer to cracking the DARPA code that could bring Ben home. Right out of the gate, I say Jen gets a questionable promotion. Magic leaves. He says he's doing what's best for the project. Jen says, stay for one last leap. Again, like this isn't like a government facility, like they're just friends hanging out. And he says, not this time. And they all hug and magic leaves, but not before promoting Jen to head of Project Quantum Leap. Fortunately, this is where the stupid stops in this episode. <laughs> they get well, that, really out of there quick. And that was definitely something that I thought was going to be the status quo moving forward. Yeah. When that happened, yeah. we had talked about Ernie Hudson leaving and I just assumed, okay, well, yeah, he is, in fact, done with the show. And this is what they've decided to do with Jen, put her in charge. Why? Well, I, I mean, know. devil's advocate, if you're going to keep Jen around, I can think of worse things to do with her. Like, nothing. Yeah. Like, what's what we've been doing for two years. Yeah, you'd have to give her something to do, finally. Oh, they give her something to do in the second hour, and it's sweet. <laughs> we'll get there, though. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of chatter at the project. A lot of the stuff happening in the 2026 storyline is just there to push 
the DARPA code narrative forward. Mm-hmm. Ian gets a moment to quote what Jen correctly identifies as Moby Dick, but it's <laughs> actually quoting Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. That moment rings true for me personally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll chase him round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares maelstrom and round perdition's flames before I give him up. I like, love I, that part. Sitting there saying it, I'm like, oh, that's Star Trek too. <laughs> and Jen comes in and says, oh, it's Moby Dick. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then Ian, of course, corrects her. Yes. <laughs> to what it actually is. Everybody knows it's, it's Star Trek too now. <laughs> you get some nice moments in there, I think. But the real story here is Ben's leap. And we spent a lot of time in the leap this hour. Right. So Ben leaps in. He's in an apartment trying to help put out a fire. You know, I know immediately who this kid is, right? Like, there's no question immediately. Right. And I was thinking about it in terms of the effect of having Hannah open the door and be Josh's wife and how we were all kind of shocked. But when you're expecting it, you're not going to get that effect. That's true. It's really funny because Ben leaps in and he's looking around trying to figure out what's going on. He sees the kid. The kid's like, you got to put out the fire. What are you doing? And there's a fully grown adult man just laying on the ground. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I need to help your dad. He's like, that's not my dad. He's my neighbor. <laughs> like, well, okay, I guess fuck that guy then. Because uh, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think we ever see that man conscious. No, we don't ever see him again. He's just an unconscious man on the floor in an apartment where Jeffrey. Yeah, Jeffrey Nally. We recognize it's Jeffrey when he says my dad died. While we were living in New Jersey. Yeah, that was a little... And it's like, oh, oh, like who tells Who tells the firefighter? Wouldn't the story just end at, yeah, my dad died. My dad died back when we were living in New Jersey. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Say no more, say no more. <laughs> know what I mean? Nudge, nudge, know what I mean? Say no more. Your wife, go. Hey, know what I mean? That's definitely mean. for the audience, but there is something true about Jeffrey here that we come to understand in this hour, and that is that Jeffrey's dad's death was perhaps the most formative moment of his life. Right. Yeah. For reasons that become even more clear in the second hour. So not only do I think it's plausible that he really goes into detail about it way more than anybody wants him to, he also later goes back into a burning building to try to save his dad's stuff. Right. Because Just he, the stuff. Because yeah. he can't stand the thought of losing that connection to his father. And so this is a guy dealing with some serious, serious trauma. Yeah, we're definitely going to get to the second hour, but I feel like we're already kind of leaping over it. Uh... (laughs) Well, yeah, we are leaping over it. This is an origin story. What we have in this episode is a villain's origin story. Yeah. And that's the main point of this whole episode. There's a building on fire. There are construction workers a few floors up that need to be saved this building the code was not followed the building should be condemned there's serious fatigue and all the load-bearing members as egon spengler would say (laughs) but ben has to find a way to save the construction workers a few floors up fortunately he has help in the form of hannah who comes through the door ben makes it clear who he is in a sort of subtle way she understands it and they try to keep this A little separate from Jeffrey. Right. So he's not privy to it. She talks about how things have been a little tough. Ben gives her some stock suggestions, which is hilarious when it happens. 
Mm-hmm. But oh boy, does that plot point come back? It sure does. In a way that I was like, that's actually fucking brilliant. Yeah. I thought that was great. Like he sports almanac. Yeah. The future. Great, great stuff. But Hannah and Ben get one more moment to put their heads together and save the construction workers a few floors up. Yeah, they get to science together again. And it's a good thing, too, because Hannah says that based on studying Ben's leaps and the forces at play here is that this is the last time their paths will cross. Yeah, I mean, obviously I can't do the math. But this show is relying on you being dumber than Hannah Carson, which is true, (laughs) which is true. But at the same time, when she said she'd been studying it, I just don't see where she has enough information and enough variables to come up with any conclusions. One of the things I speculated about who she was and how she was going to keep coming into play was that she was going to somehow learn to track him. Yeah, you did say that. Yeah, this isn't quite that, but... When you come to understand that something previously thought impossible is in fact possible and you really start digging in on it and you devote your life to it, Mm -hmm. maybe you figure some shit out, you know? Maybe. So Hannah convinces Ben to let her help because every time he's leaped near her, it's because he's needed her. And Addison agrees and he basically gets her involved in Trapped and in Danger. Yep. Did you think Hannah was going to die in this episode? I thought there was a chance. I obviously didn't want her to, but I didn't... Sure, I didn't want to see that. Let me say, I didn't want to see that not from a storytelling standpoint. I didn't want to see it from a personal standpoint. Right. That would break my heart. Right. No, I agree. And I really felt like it was a possibility, for sure. Yeah. And when I'm thinking of this episode as Jeffrey's supervillain origin story, Mm -hmm. what if he loses two fucking parents? Right. I'm glad they didn't go that way because it would have been overkill. But what Hannah getting pinned and feeling like she was going to die does is it gives her a chance to say to Addison, I need your people to see this. And she basically fills in the gaps in Ian's DARPA code there in the dirt. Yeah. Now, she spent a lot of time trying to get Ben alone to have a conversation about all of this stuff. And then a door explodes and fire is coming out and they've got to... Yeah, I mean, being in a towering inferno does not present you with many quiet moments. (laughs) Any moments to really talk. She observes at one point, you know, when we said next time we see each other, we should just be sitting in front of a fire. This is not what I had in mind. Yeah. Cute. Hannah, so cute. The writing was on a fire. Oh, you took it one step too far. Okay. Mm. Um... (laughs) But that being said, when she's filling in the code, handwriting in the dirt, did she just have that part figured out but hadn't written it down yet? The impression I got was that the DARPA project was a thing she did that she never came back to. I thought it was something she was presently working on. She kept trying to sit down with him and say, hey, I've been working on these theories. And the only thing that she'd managed to tell him was that this would be the last time they'd see each other. I'll say... When I heard that, my heart sank a little bit. I think I knew the writing was on the wall, of course. Or on the floor. Yeah. (laughs) Did strike me as a little weird, as I guess that's the one piece that she knew wasn't on there. Why hadn't she found the time to (laughs) write down that last bit? Maybe on a piece of paper somewhere. (laughs) Things have just been tough. Yeah. Lucky there was that soot there to write in. 
Yeah, how often do you think Jeffrey sets fires in the apartment? Probably pretty frequently. <laughs> this is like the fifth neighbor he's killed this week. They do get a nice, quiet moment together. And knowing that Hannah and Ben's time is limited on this show, one of the things we've expressed a little displeasure about was that the show was not so subtly nudging us back to the Addison-Ben train, right? Right. Wanting us to revisit that and think, no, nah, these two actually do belong together, which is something you and I didn't believe at first, sort of believed, and then really got over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But she asked Ben about Addison. He's worried about her. And he tells Hannah she's my partner. And she says she's more than that. Hannah's picked up on things that he was engaged previously. And she said, I know what it feels like to lose someone you love. Only you haven't lost her. Right. Which I thought was touching. And again, you're still connected to everyone you love because love is timeless. Again, we're setting up the mm -hmm. second hour of this. In a nice way that doesn't feel like that's the only reason we're sitting here saying this right now. Right. Like it's actually a story beat that works very well for this character, very well for Ben, and it fits into the episode. And I was just, this is a very elegantly told story. I yeah. Think. Yeah. And Hannah is trying to give us permission to have them be back together. And she's giving Ben permission. So here are my thoughts on this. From a writer's standpoint, I think it's definitely working the way it had to work, mm -hmm. basically. If you really sit back and think about this, as you've noted several times in the podcast, Ben is the avatar for us. We see everything from his perspective. So when we think about Hannah, you kind of forget the fact that even though she's aged nine years, she's aged six years. It's just, oh, but we get to see Hannah again. Right. Exactly. So from even our perspective, we're kind of enamored with this girl. Right. And yeah, yeah, we're enamored with her as much as Ben is. And we can't wait to see her again. And from her point of view, which is an entire lifetime where she's met this person seven times. I think she literally says at one point, it's been like nine days, like a week and a half, which is like that sweet spot in a relationship where you're still over the moon that you'd found this person. It's exciting. It's new. Yeah, Ben's you, going, you, you know, that's going through a lot this, this season. Well, <laughs> in a very short amount of time. Yeah. But I'm still feeling that Ben and Hannah are the better couple. Sure. Uh, Hannah is the more interesting character for me. She's the one I want to see that romance blossom. And I want that. So I hate this, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but when I actually sit down and I think about it and I recognize the fact that it's been an entire lifetime for this woman who's met this guy who kind of just keeps popping into her life every few decades, every few years. And as much as she cares for him, her feelings towards him clearly change with each meeting where ours are the same. She's gaining wisdom and perspective. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, her life cannot come down to six days. Right. Right. She can't only truly live for six days of her life. Right. It's unreasonable for her to expect, Ben to expect, for us, the audience, to expect. If you put yourself in the right perspective, you can see that it was never going to work with Hannah. Uh, you know, part of me wanted the resolution of the season or the resolution of the show to 
find a way for the two of them to be together long term. I think I still sort of expected it. In Cairo, when she first started talking about people being a home for a nomad. I thought that's what we were going. I thought that's what at. we were driving at. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. is that she... Like, maybe your home, quote unquote, isn't your home anymore. Right, exactly. And I think she believed it that way at the time of her saying it as well. But you mull over the same thing for nine more years before you see the person again. You're feeling about that person differently. And she presents the same concept here. Right. Almost the same dialogue that she did in Nomad, but with that different sort of perspective. Right. Part of me still wants her to be the home that the Nomad She's she's only going to be my home. (laughs) we weren't mistaken when it seemed like they were putting Addison and Ben back together they made their apologies to one another and yeah it's definitely gone back that direction that's the only part that it didn't completely sell me on the Hannah story by the end or in this episode (laughs) by the end Really? By the, okay. by the end, yeah. We'll, we'll like, get there. We we will definitely get we'll there. We'll get there. I, I just think, you know, the Hannah story concludes very well. Love to see that character and where she ended up and what she was able to teach all of us and teach Ben with her lifetime of experience. Love Hannah. I'm glad to, glad to see that land the way that it did. Very well written, not cheap. They didn't kill her off. Even though it looked dodgy for a second. It looked dodgy for a bit, but no, they don't kill her off. And she was a big part of the show. Any way you yeah. cut it, you know? Yeah. Regardless no, I, of where it goes from here on out, she was a big part of this series. We will always have that story, and it was a great story. It was good. It was definitely good. That being said, I still don't know that I want Ben and Addison together. <laughs> I guess we'll see where I am at the end of season three. But yeah, right now, beginning of season three, I don't know. So speaking of seeing where we are in the future, Ben has to kind of make a choice between saving Hannah and saving Jeffrey. He runs off to save Jeffrey at the behest of Hannah. Uh, doesn't really want to do it. And if he knew who Jeffrey was, he'd probably want to do it even less. But still, he does it. <laughs> and this sequence, I think, is actually pretty harrowing and exciting when, oh, when yeah. they're trying to go out the window. They have to jump down a ledge and. This is a great moment because Ben almost doesn't make it. And then he looks up and he's like, oh, no, it's fine. Come on. And, and <laughs> I mean, uh, Jeffrey is understandably, no, fuck that. Yeah. Jeffrey doesn't want to jump. And then um, Ben says to him, we both have to be brave. Courage is a choice, which is what Josh said to Jeffrey in Off the Cuff. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a line Jeffrey's like, what? You know, it's like, that's what my dad used to tell me. And he confronts Ben about it. You never met my dad. How did you know what to say to me? So throughout this episode, Jeffrey's kind of putting little things together. Right. And he goes back. He's gotten a bunch of his dad's stuff. And I know the first thing I thought, oh, shit, that letter. He's going to find that letter. The one that Ben wrote in Family Jewels. <laughs> it wasn't called Family Jewels. It was called Family Treasure. Uh The one that Ben wrote to try to save Josh. Right. And he finds that letter. We come to find out that that letter has much more impactful meaning on this family than just buying Josh a couple more years of life. 
Right. But I really, really loved the ending. I'll, I'll be honest. Like by the end of part one, I was tired. I was like, I should probably go to bed. Maybe wrap this up tomorrow. I want to be with it. But right before Ben leaps, he's talking to Hannah by the ambulance and Jeffrey's kind of off to the side. He looks at the letter. He looks up at Ben and he's putting it together. He's yeah. finally realizing this is the guy. Yeah. And there is a tinge of menace there oh, where yeah, it's like, yeah. we can see this is it. This is the point where he is born. Yeah. Right. Yeah. By the end of the episode, I'm like, nah, fuck it. I got to see what happens. Got to see where this goes. Yeah. I got to see where this goes. Cause I think I'm going to love where it's going. Well, before, you know? yeah. Before we dive off of that, I, I do want to mention that sequence on the outside of that building. It had my palms a little sweaty. It was nauseating watching the view down and mm -hmm. watching him jump. And it was so klutzy. It was not elegant at all. It was like, these are yeah. two people in actual danger is what it felt like. You know, yeah, I've, it was I've got really a, good. I've got a mild fear of heights. If you're really high up, it can make my palms a little sweaty, right? And I reacted to it the same way I do my favorite favorite scene in any of the Mission Impossible movies, which is climbing the outside of the tower in Mission Burge Impossible Khalifa. 4. Yeah. Oh, God, Just man. like every time I watch that and he goes and he puts his hand on the glass and steps out. Just thinking about it right now, my hands get a little clammy. Yeah. Nope, nope, uh-uh, nope. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's an incredible sequence, and this had a very similar effect on me. Yeah. Trying to jump out, but not out enough to be off the building. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> uh, it's just like, uh, how do you, yeah. I, and of course you had to jump because each window was exploding. Oh my God. Yeah. Fire. The explosion comes right on the tail of it, you know, like, yeah, wow. it's, a bit, it's a bit much. I, I mean, is, but is it, it a lot? Just... Yes. But is it effective? Also? Yes. Yeah. It was... <laughs> if you're going to do it, go all in. Right. I didn't want to skip past that because great, very moment. effective visual storytelling, great directing. And yeah. Hey, the pyrotechnics and the special effects folks that had to put that together. That's no joke. You know, yeah. talk about the Egypt episode. They, they must have put some money into that building, too. I think. Yeah. Well done. Well done there on the effects for this one. In addition to getting a very sweet moment between Ben and Hannah there at the end, right before he leaps out, where she again sort of reiterates the impact he's had on her. In our brief time together, you have changed my whole world. The doors you opened, the adventures we shared, it was the greatest gift. And I wanted to give you something in return. She's talking about the code the darpa code right yeah. they hug ben leaps and we get a cool little moment where we get to see post leap the real captain otis is back and he's like where the hell am i yeah yeah and that was what a good the... and she says easy captain you hit your head and lost consciousness she's still doing damage control here I love yeah it. like she knows I... what it's like that was a great moment yeah one time that happened and she was just kissing him kissing him like totally making out with an old man yeah yeah. And he's like, no, wait, come back. <laughs> I thought that was great. Like she's old hat at this. Yeah. She yeah, knows exactly what happened and knows exactly what to do. And just part of what makes her so gosh darn wonderful. Yeah. Speaking of wonderful, my favorite moment in this episode comes at the very end. That last scene is intercut 
with the arrival at Project Quantum Leap of a bunch of armed soldiers oh. and Gideon Ridge, who has come back and he is now assuming control of the project. And what's the first thing Gideon Ridge does? He fires everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that was your favorite part that so, he fires so he, everyone he terminates ian he terminates jen and i mean i felt a little bit bad about addison but i was like ian and jen are both fired and i said maybe i was too hard on this guy <laughs> <laughs> i jest i mean like yeah that's, right i did comment there I was like oh you know, it's, well, okay are... gideon's already a better manager than yeah the the, well guy. the thing the thing about it though is that they came in guns a-blazing you know like if people are removed from government jobs it's rarely at gunpoint especially when the soldiers are the soldiers just act like henchmen Especially uh, when Addison tries to take one of them down and there's still like 20 armed soldiers with guns trained on her. I'm like, what is your plan here? You know what it yeah. reminded me of? Uh, it reminded me of that scene in Empire Strikes Back in the carbon freeze chamber where Chewie takes out that one stormtrooper. <laughs> and Han's like, stop, stop, stop. You're going to get everybody killed. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I don't know what the long game was there, but she's acting yeah. on emotion, I think. Yeah, um, for sure. For sure. And he takes over and says, I wish you all the very best. And that's where this episode ends. So definitely, definitely no chance I'm going to stop here. I, I had to watch the second hour immediately. Well, that was always the plan. And uh, all the big reveals in the second hour we saw coming, but at the same time delivered well. So let's do it this way then. Uh, where did God, Fader Time, send Ben in the second hour so this episode is titled against time written by drew lindo a writer of secret history fellow travelers somebody up there likes ben so another sort of middle of the road writer here yeah directed by chris grismer we got nomads closure encounters judgment day sos, SOS. oe of little faith and what a disaster this is the guy they get out for the big episodes, yeah, right? Yeah. That's the one thing all of them have in common is that they were big episodes. And this one, Against Time, definitely falls into that category. For sure. It's Sonoma, California. The year is 1976. And Ben, not for the first time this season. In fact, I think this is maybe the third time this season. He leaps in behind the wheel of a moving car. Yeah, but this time, not just a moving car. A fucking stock car. <laughs> That's going like 120. Like, like, it's just getting perpetually less safe. Yeah. Before, when you made the joke in off the cuff, I was like, but yeah, but it was like a country road. It was and like a like, 35 mile per hour zone. Yeah. Was like, like probably going to run a stop sign, hit a kid. Whatever. But, I mean, this. Minimal damage is what I'm saying. I hope they were on the long stretch. He wasn't oh in the curve or something because, holy no. crap. Right into the wall. He is professional stock car driver Rick Jarrett Jr., who is in the middle of a uh, qualifying race. Also racing is his dad, Rick Sr., an aging driver that Ben recognizes like, holy crap, you're you're Rick Jarrett Sr. And he's like, what is wrong with you? This yeah. is his son. It's a great little moment. Yeah. Rick Sr. is an aging driver who's long dreamt of the time he could race alongside his son. Unfortunately, Rick is your typical old hard ass who will not get medical attention under any circumstances, <laughs> even though he clearly has heart issues that are going to catch up with him very, very soon. But I'll tell you what, Nate, absolutely none of this matters because the episode is mostly about completely different things. <laughs> OK, I'll, well, I'm going to push back just a second, though, because 
You're not wrong, but they've done something, I think, pretty brilliant here. Mm-hmm. In just the few minutes that are on screen with this father and son, have all of these really familiar moments that are very original quantum leap. Yes. The dad yeah. that won't stop, the athlete that can't continue to play. Like the, It made me think of the one where Sam... Stuntman? Well, there's that one. That but one yeah, mind. see, I mean, it's pretty common. The other one was yeah. he was a wrestler. He ah, and his brother yes. were wrestlers, and the yeah. brother had a heart condition, and he, he needed to keep him from wrestling. And it's stuff like this where we've seen this before, but not in a way that, oh, we've seen this before. No. More like, a, hey, you're familiar with this, so you almost immediately are already in this family unit. Your brain can fill in the gaps. Yeah, and it it's extraordinarily economical, uh-huh. and it needs to be because there is so much at play in this episode. And the guy but, that plays the father, he nails it with that great. one little speech. One moment, yeah. one kind of monologue to set up the stakes of the leap, but also sell us on the idea that we care what happens to this guy. Exactly. And they managed to do that in a way that all of the first season had 20 minutes with people. And you're just like, I don't, who are these people? I don't And you don't care. Yeah. yeah you and don't, I, you, you don't, don't care. get this level. I agree completely. So you get out of this and you feel like you've spent far more time with these people than you actually did in the episode. But even the sister, even the sister who has to have like three lines, maybe. Honestly, this sounds flippant, but I think it has to do with her outfit. The way they costume her. Uh Uh-huh. Like a kid sister of the 70s. Yep. With the graphic t-shirt and the high jeans and the pigtails or whatever. She's got sort of a similar vibe as the girl sidekick slash doting wannabe girlfriend in Kamikaze Kid. Yeah. You know? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Sure. Same sort of vibe where she's kind of this younger, spunky person who's trying to be the glue that holds things together, has some know-how, but isn't the one doing the racing, you know? Right, right. She's also a familiar archetype. Yes. You know where you are, you know who they are, and it works. And one of the best lines that Rick Sr. gets is, I've dreamt about sharing this with you since you were little. All the sacrifice is going to be worth it. We're almost there. It's like a meta message to us, to Ben. This is it. It's all coming down to this. You can read it both ways. This framing device for this episode is just terrific. Yeah. First and foremost, it's like about the small stuff. Yeah. Right. We're going to get to the big stuff. But here is the small stuff that we're presenting to you right now. About as effective as these Cheetos are going to be. Uh, yeah, like here. Paprika's own Jermon Jackson, who, who used to bring snacks to the studio and just crunch on them. And he, that's how he got the nickname Snack and Jackson. <laughs> well, it just felt like a Cheetos and soda kind of night. So, Oh, it's definitely a soda kind of night, man. I needed the caffeine. Needed an upper to get all through right. all this. I'll, I'll take the rest of these crunching out. So Okay, we can leave it in. <laughs> um, so, the, so Ben is kind of getting settled into this lead, and he hears a voice. You're really not very good at this, are you? <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, uh, yes, he is. He's actually really good at this. <laughs> well, as we come to understand Gideon's referring to something very specific here. Ben turns and sees, we know who he is. Ben doesn't know who he is. Gideon Ridge is in the imaging chamber. And this was the moment where I was like, okay, 
this is menacing. I'm wrong about this character. This character, as he is now, actualizing whatever plan he had, this is the version of this character I feel like we were sold from the get-go. And we're finally getting it. Okay, yeah. The reason being is that Ben is trapped. Yeah, Ben can't go anywhere. He's a trapped rat. As soon as Gideon leaves the imaging chamber, shit is happening that he can't see or control. It's like a horror movie trope. Yeah. You know, it's like the lights going out in a room where the creature just came through the door. Yeah. You know, there's, that's it, what it, it feels like. He's just in a very powerless position and his help is gone. Addison can't find him and he's all by himself. What do you do in this situation? And of course, he reaches out to Hannah and uh, that didn't go quite the way he would have liked. Right. Yeah. That adds to how menacing that character can be. He's really got him over a barrel and yeah. it's really effective. Immediately, the reveal happens very quickly yeah. with him. He says, when the world sees me, they see Gideon Ridge. Brilliant success came out of nowhere. And that's it. That's all yeah. you need to hear. That's like, all you okay. need to hear. The coolest thing he says was actually, the funny thing is, it's an illusion. It's a mask I wear to manipulate everyone around me. And I learned that from you, Ben. Yeah. And then he holds up the letter that he rescued from that blazing building back in 74 for me, it's been over 50 years, but finally I meet the real Ben song. And suddenly everything clicks into place. Oh my God, you're Jeffrey. Yeah. How about that? He said, Hannah didn't tell you, you killed my father. Yeah. And, you know, Ben, of course, I tried to save him. What are you talking about? And that's when we start getting our flashbacks. Yes. We get a very cool flashback to the scene from off the cuff where Jeffrey came in and Hannah and Ben were talking. But of course we see that it's, from Jeffrey's POV, it's not Ben. It's the bounty hunter he had leaped and into, Nick, right? right? Yes, yeah. They're, they're in there talking, and we get to see the fallout of Josh discovering the letter that Ben wrote to Hannah. Mm -hmm. And all of my love, who is this? Who is Ben? And she's like, oh, you're never going to believe this. He's a time traveler. Josh gets furious, storms out of the house, and it's the night he gets in his car accident. Right. And yeah. Jeffrey's watching everything from the stairwell. Now, as far as we're talking about surprises, I can tell you that neither of us thought that that was going to happen when he wrote that letter in Family Treasure. I will say no. We, uh, I didn't even think that letter was actually going to reach them. I assumed he was going to ask about it the next episode and just like, well, I'm sorry, she never mailed it or it got lost or it was, you know, no, that never reached her. Not only did it reach her. It reached him. <laughs> it, yeah. And it raises the question because we felt pretty comfortable that this was the universe at work. We even talked about it. The universe wants to leave that door open for he and Hannah, you know, right. because she's not meant to be with. And also that he doesn't get to pick who he saves. And that's something they've talked about on right. this show. If Josh died, it's because he had to die. Right. And, and still, cosmically, it could be true, but it doesn't change the fact that Ben had a direct hand and it, in yeah. the chain of events that led to Josh's death now. And it definitely questions that. Yes. Like, now, was he? I mean, it affected him enough to save him. Was it also instrumental in killing him? Right. I the mean, letter that's... itself became the instrument that fulfilled his death one way or the other. So, yeah. Is that the universe at work or is Ben genuinely responsible for it? It's... That's the thing. I think we have to believe that that was the universe at work. It's not what Gideon believes. You know, if God, fate or time is really pulling strings in this universe, you know, would they 
allow something like that to happen or maybe they're punishing ben for trying to do something he wasn't supposed to or Mm, yeah it just puts the whole thing in a new perspective that i've found really interesting speaking of different perspectives though like i was saying ridge acting like a petulant child right Mm -hmm. why is he acting like such a brat well i mean he's kind of in a state of arrested development he dealt with a huge traumatic crisis one that we've already seen that he is incapable of letting go of Right. Kind of never move beyond it. He says, and this is another great moment. And this is all happening. We're like five minutes into the episode. There's so it's just swimming with all these great moments. Ridge says, I changed my identity and used your stock tips to build a tech empire. Yeah. Ben, you done fucked up, buddy. Yeah. I loved that. I also like, trying oh. to help Hannah. And then he says the best part of this. He did all of this so I could track you down and set things right. Gideon's like, you are ineffective. You killed my dad. I am the one who's going back in time now to put right what once went wrong. Yeah. Now he's doing it from a very selfish point of view. Right. Talking about changing world events and stuff like that. But we understand where this character is coming from. We understand who he is now. And like all the best villains, there's a degree of sympathy there. I don't agree with him, but... I see what happened here. If you can understand his motivation, it makes a world of difference. Now, what I love about this, the heart and soul of this episode, is that a a typical time travel story like this will be about stopping. And this episode actually refers to going back in time and killing Hitler in a crib, right? Right. Like, that's the idea. Do we kill Hitler as a baby? How do we stop Jeffrey? This show is not content to let that happen. Ben is not content to let that happen. Ben, true to form, must find a way to save everyone. Right. That's where Quantum Leap is not only most comfortable, but that's where it's making decisions that I feel like we wouldn't typically see in a story like this. It's great. The arc of Jeffrey in this episode is fantastic. Well, you know, we actually should back up because they can't put any plan into motion until they get Addison back in an imaging chamber. All right. Now, Nate, we've talked and we've speculated about all sorts of things. I'm going to go out there and say neither one of us had Janice Calavici on our bingo cards for the season finale. I did not. And in fact, in my notes, I'm thinking, is she, is she almost a dust ex machina situation here? I, yes. Kind of. Almost, a little bit. But at the same time. Remember season one and remember the imaging chamber, the janky ass imaging chamber yes. she built. And we were so disappointed that it was just like not used. It was like it was there and then it was gone. And weren't you going to use that? Yeah. And by God, <laughs> they, is yeah. it good to see it back? Yes. Yeah. They they finished it. They got it working. And then this is something that magic has been working on on the side or something like something that he had in his back pocket this whole time. Like, he knew it was there as, like, a failsafe. Yeah. yeah, it was in storage or something. He calls Janice. Janice comes in. You tell she's been in Hawaii because of her shirt, which I thought was really hilarious. <laughs> like, she's got, like, a Hawaiian shirt on the whole time just to be like, hey, guess where I was? Yeah, when she gets dropped off by Magnum P.I. Which is really funny. Yeah. Magic's basically like, get in, Quantum Weepers. We're going Quantum Weeping. And takes them to the warehouse with the imaging chamber. And the hand link, Nate. Yeah. The classic handling with the cawing and the beeping and the whistling. The and gummy the bears. Yeah. And 
Addison has to smack it and stuff. It's like, oh my god, this is like a ball for my soul. You put the bomb on? Who told you to put the bomb on? I didn't tell you to put the bomb on. Uh, careful with that. It's a family heirloom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. But Janice comes back, and for the second time in 13 minutes, we are treated to some great fucking dialogue. Janice tells the story of Al's original history while that music from The Leap Home Part 1 is playing. Yeah. And reveals that without Project Quantum Leap, her family wouldn't exist. Her sisters wouldn't be alive. They were never born. Beth remarried and never waited for Al. And they know all this stuff. And... How do they know all that stuff? It's unclear. (laughs) (laughs) I would speculate that it's because Al is aware of it. Yeah. And the reason I would speculate that Al is aware of it is because Addison is aware of the changes to the timeline later in the episode. This starts to get a, I won't say muddy, in not in a bad way, but it gets heady the way that time travel will. Like, well, now if this happened, did that happen? But if, so, that, so, but if that happened, did it mean this? You know? So This is where, like, the technobabble and the strict adherence to what we consider to be canon becomes problematic. Because I think canon should be treated with a sense of elasticity, right? Yeah, was, like yeah. be true to canon, be true to what you understand the rules to be. But for God's sakes, if you've got a good moment, don't squander that moment. Yeah, use it don't, as a guide, not a prison. Exactly. Don't skip the moment because canon dictates that you do. Yeah. My head canon is that Al knew the original history and told them about it. But I mean, Sam Beckett materialized, fully formed in front of Beth. He didn't leap into anybody. Right. He leaped as Sam Beckett, to tell Beth that Al was going to survive. And Beth stayed with Al. She knows who Sam is. Yeah. You know, she understands what happened. So it almost doesn't matter how they found out about it. There's plenty of avenues to sort of explain that. For sure. You know? Yeah. But let's not forget that Janice did drug her mother. Yeah. And leave her and on the floor. Left her on the floor. Let her collapse onto the floor. Never forget. Beth, yeah. beautiful as ever. Janice, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it is an absolute pleasure to see you back. <laughs> I won't go that far. <laughs> I will. I was just I mean, so... It was fun. I was, like, uh, it was fun. I was like, this is the point at which I wrote, we are only 13 minutes in, and we've already seen all of this stuff. Yeah. We've got 30 minutes of episode left, and by God, I am just full tilt into this shit (laughs) she kind of comes out of nowhere but at the same time this is good writing validating season one 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 might even say it's revisionist revisionist history history it's kind of like when you see andrew garfield in the spider-man movie because nobody liked andrew garfield's spider-man movies but when he showed up in Tom right. Holland's Spider-Man, yeah. everybody loved seeing him there, right? Or a better example, in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and you get to see Black Bolt Black there. Black Bolt, yes. Nobody and liked Black Bolt. Nobody, nobody liked, liked humans. Black, but people no one liked humans. loved seeing Black Bolt in that movie. Very similar situation here. It was like, I don't know, it was nobody was a big Janice fan if I'm <laughs> That's true. I'm going out yeah. on a going out on a limb here. 
But suddenly uh, we're like, oh shit, look who it is. But get, look who get, it is. Bring it in, bring hey. it in kid. <laughs> uh, in yeah, your no, imaging you're, you're chamber. Awesome. It was a welcome sight to see that yeah. imaging chamber actually come to fruition. I kind of wish it had been janky. Still a little janky, yeah. Yeah. They do address that. They say they worked it out. They, they figured it right. out. Right. Yeah, they do mention that it fixed, but I almost wish it wasn't. I wish it was still like guerrilla warfare. Just a little fritzy, you know, just like blinking in and out. I'm yeah. picturing that she would look a little bit like Spidey 2099's hologram in the Spider-Verse movies. Lila. Yeah. Maybe I'm... The effects budget can only go so far. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. No, I... I... I just think it would have been fun if it was, well, we pulled this spitting wire together and built this in our backyard and to break into the military facility, you know, the way she did in season one. Yeah, yeah. But, hey, it was sitting there, had been squandered, and they picked it back up. Yes, and and that I have to give them full credit for. Sure. So using the hand link and their connection to Ziggy, Addison and Ben discover that Jeffrey's on the cusp of winning, I guess, basically like a science fair with a home computer. (laughs) (laughs) Some kind of convention, yeah. It starts him on the path to villainy. His rise to power begins this weekend. And Ben, who has to save Rick Sr. from having a heart attack in like 20 minutes. 42 minutes. 42 minutes. Which is which is funny because it's oddly specific, long. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, oddly specific, huh? Wow, what what else do we know that lasts forty two minutes? <laughs> uh, Hannah's house is like twenty minutes away, but hey, baby, Ben's got a stock car. It's magic that points out it can't be a coincidence that he is at this place at this time. Right. He goes on to say that there's something greater at work here, given the opportunity. To make a difference. Yeah. Can't be a coincidence. So Gideon becomes aware that they have piggybacked into Ziggy and are utilizing Ziggy from a remote location. Sends out men to hunt down these rogue agents. <laughs> a lot of things happen here. Janice recognizes that if they stop Ridge's rise to power, the quantum chip will never be made. And it will instigate a paradox. Right. Magic says, well, the quantum bubble, <laughs> I don't worry about it, the quantum bubble. And he says it in the way that's like, this is a guy who has no idea what he's talking about. Even though we're like, oh, quantum bubble is just techno babble. They're all like, this is not normal circumstances. Ben is going awfully. <laughs> and they say, and this time there's no cheat code, mercifully. Yeah, thank God. So the danger in changing the past, of course, is that everything in the present could cease to exist. Their current situations could change in a blink. And they do. Yes, Magic says they've got to take the risk together. He says something greater is behind this. It's asking us to sacrifice. You know what he doesn't say? The accelerator is behind this. Yeah. And Magic, I commend you for that. Yeah, Magic's always been on our side on that one, I think. Yeah, they bring up a butterfly effect. In fact, the computer has an error warning for butterfly effect. Butter, butterfly effect incoming. Butterfly effect achieved. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, that is really funny. It's like a somebody loading would've... bar to the butterfly effect. Like, how does the computer know? Yeah, somebody would have programmed it to say that. <laughs> it is kind of weird. But it is just there as visual shorthand to let you know. Yeah, let the audience know. If everything's going to change. Time travel for dummies. Yeah. Yeah. 
Gideon's whole plan is to, of course, climb into the accelerator and use the DARPA code to basically take Ben's place. And you know how he's evil? His leotard is black. I, I made a note <laughs> of that. He's in an all-black leotard. Like, oh, the so good yeah, people the wear guy. white leotards, and the that's bad, bad people wear did the you black think, leotards. Did you think throughout this episode, at any point, that we were going to go the route of Lothos? It popped in my brain. I thought maybe he'd be the first evil leaper or something like that, but... Yeah, I did too. I started thinking it when we got to the warehouse with Janice's imaging chamber. I thought, what if the fate of the original project is it becomes the evil leaper scenario and this project over here, this splinter kind of gorilla one over here, Mm -hmm. ends up carrying the torch and being the true quantum leap moving forward. I think that's still on the table. I mean, that's the scenario we were thinking of in season one. Uh, Yeah. You know, with Chekhov's evil leapers, I think, is what we (laughs) named the episode. Yeah. They've been hinting around that. Yeah, they've been doing a lot of flirting with it. Yeah. Yeah. Jen breaks into the project. She's trying to lock down the accelerator so he can't get in. And she does a lot of stalling. She does a little bit of stalling. Tries to lock him in an elevator, but it's tech genius against tech genius. Jen gets fucking clapped. (laughs) She's shot dead. And she's so dead that the first thing we see coming back from the commercial break is a body bag zipping up with her in it. <laughs> like, holy shit. <laughs> you didn't really think she was... I will tell you, you know, I did feel a little bad. Like, oh, man, you guys didn't have to do that. <laughs> I didn't ask you to clap a bitch. Well, no, we knew I all mean, of it was going to change. So We're already talking about right. butterfly effects and all, right. but it is still really exciting and not just because we're like eh, killer yes make it slow this is a very exciting episode because it's, it's like anything can happen you really do have where this did that like where did that remote control car come from didn't they have it they had it like in a the... grocery bag or something janice brought it in a grocery oh, did, uh, bag with a bunch it? of stuff yeah beth br- beth is always bringing stuff in a grocery bag do we know that car from something that's not like a some kind of a Easter egg that we should be getting as um, big Quantum Leap fans, is it? No, no I, I don't think, think so. so. I didn't think so either. But it was with a bunch of my dad's old stuff. So it was like... Now, see, now I'm curious. Yeah. Now I'm definitely curious. Seems uh, a little to... weird to include if it didn't mean something. So I don't know. Basically, Jen's plan works until it doesn't. It works just um, as long as it needs to. Jen is dead, and the first thing Gideon says is, Ben Song did this. He's responsible, which is great. Like, every death is now Ben Song's fault. Like, this is who we're dealing with here. An obsessed and angry kid who's waited 50 years to play God. Uh, Again, why he acts the way he does, why he's so fucking petulant. Right. Great stuff. So Ben and Addison are racing out to the suburbs to try to beat the absolute shit out of... (laughs) of jeffrey's computer and addison ben have that moment we were talking about earlier she says she's sorry she didn't wait for him and ben says i made a promise to find my way back to you and i couldn't keep it and they have that moment where everything's in the past and and they reconcile you don't owe me any apologies i yeah Yeah. i made a promise and couldn't keep it that was the finality that we knew it was leading towards i guess the last straw that says okay these two are going to get back together more or less. What does that mean? What does that look like? That's the thing that's 
sort of the question. I guess we assume that it's going to look like it always did. Yeah. You know, right. Addison's the hologram, Ben's the leaper, and we're going to kind of pick up and everything's kind of reset to where it was before. I'm just shocked by how many great moments there are between characters in this episode. The next one we get is Ben and Jeffrey. Ben arrives at their house, grabs a hammer, going to smash that computer, sees that it's called <laughs> the, the Joshua. Joshua, and pauses and says, this doesn't feel right. And that's where he says, you know, we have to save everyone. And Jeffrey included there, uh, recognizing that Gideon is a victim of trauma who's never gotten over it. And it's incumbent upon Ben to show him that there's another way. And he apologizes to Jeffrey, who scolds him by saying, you're the reason he's dead. You have a time machine and you couldn't save the one person I needed the most. Yeah. That hits, man. Not only that, the response, I think, was pretty powerful from Ben, too, because yes. you start to see a side of Ben that we haven't before when he's laying out what he feels. He's always talking yeah. about what yeah. other people should feel or understanding how other people feel and like empathizing with every character in every episode. He's got some speech that says, I understand how you feel. This is how you need to react to that. This is how you need to think or feel about this thing if you're going to get past that. And finally, he's forced to reflect because the character's actually talking to him, Ben, and not the host. Right. Yes. So it's not a sister talking to a sister. It's not a, a grandmother talking to her co-worker. It's Ben talking. This to is this Ben right. from the heart. And he has to represent himself. And when he's actually able to open up about all of the people that he has lost, he calls time a thief. I made a note of that. Time isn't fair. It's a thief. Yeah. Wow. For a time traveler who two episodes ago we were saying had found his purpose and that he was doing what he felt like he was supposed to be doing. But at the core, he thinks that time has stolen everything from him. I honestly did not know that's where that character's headspace was. He provides a personal example, sure, but he's speaking in broad terms. This is just what time is. And the beauty of what he does, and he kind of makes this observation, is that he has the power to give people a second chance. Right. He can't do it for everyone. But if you can even change that one life, isn't that rewarding enough? Isn't that something we're fighting for? Mm -hmm. When time is taking it all, and it is inevitable that it's going to take it all, making those little changes and improving things for this person and that person and that person, that's the most rewarding crusade. And he enlists Jeffrey's help. Which I think is great. Yeah. A lesser story wouldn't have done this. Because this is not antagonistic. It's not a conflict. The conflict has gone from man versus man to men versus environment. And he has to reframe it for Jeffrey that way, too. He says, you want me yeah. to help you? And he says, no, I want you to help them. Yes. You're not doing me a favor you are actively making a choice to change something for this family so that what happened to you doesn't happen to them. And you talk about a supervillain's origin story, that's superhero's origin. Flipping the switch, changing the way you think about the world and how it's treated you and how you can affect it. What those scenes between Ben and Jeffrey achieve are just some of my favorite moments of this whole show. Yeah. For a show that especially in season one, kind of struggled 
with a mission statement. By comparison, season one was just a struggle in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a different show completely. Jeffrey helps him and helps this family. By creating a makeshift AED. Well, uh. <laughs> here's the thing. I'm not sure what he built in that box on the way there. Like, how did it, what, it boosted the battery power? As how did he... Dr. Nick Riviera said, he <laughs> built a thousand volt capacitor. Hi, everybody. Hi, Dr. Nick. <laughs> he plugs some extra wires into the battery. Doesn't seem like it would have just worked with the car battery, but okay. I don't know if you want to hook a car battery to a dude who's having a heart attack. This isn't crank for Christ's sake. What his contribution to it was wasn't 100% clear to me. I think it's a sort of storytelling sleight of hand. Yeah, no, the point is does. clear. Yeah, the... This is all intercut with scenes back at both the ramshackle Project Quantum Leap and the real Project Quantum Leap as Gideon slowly moves towards the accelerator in his all-black jumpsuit. <laughs> Soldiers descend upon our heroes. I like how they've got monitors all over Project Quantum Leap that let you see what's going on in the imaging chamber. Right. <laughs> you know, like it's just on yeah. the wall. It's just like a TV on the wall there. It doesn't matter where you are in the building. You can see what's going on with Ben. Yeah, it's like watching the Truman Show. In case I don't see you. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. He's standing outside of the accelerator, like literally just right outside the door, watching on the screen to see whether Ben is going to be successful or not. And he says, yeah. he fails. Well, how, how can you be so sure? Because we're still here. Because we're still here. Nothing's changed. Nothing's right. changed. And you wonder, is he remembering that or is he protected by the bubble? Yeah. Final observation before everything blinks. Ben tells young Jeffrey, I know you feel powerless sometimes, but every time you help someone, you make the world better, Jeffrey. You can change so many lives starting right now. And boom, that's the moment where his trajectory shifts. The computer blinks. Butterfly effect achieved. <laughs> Team Quantum Leap holds hands. The light flashes and history realigns. And then Addison walks out of... Where? <laughs> she walks out of the imaging chamber at the regular project. At the regular project. So she, like, space travels. Yeah, well, I mean, when, the, the whole... When time, everybody time, else... Time is a river. Time is a river, and the current pulled her across uh, L.A. To, uh, I guess she... Anyway, she walks out, and she's the only person who recognizes that the time stream has realigned. Yeah. Of course, I <laughs> say, everyone's back at the project, uh, including Jen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah she comes out and gives jen a big hug and, oh you're alive yeah she quickly tries to assess what's going on and mentions jeffrey nally and they've got nothing but nice things to say about jeffrey nally in fact ian observes that he's a major donor to the program and he's such a mensch <laughs> ian says uh so jeffrey's a delight now I and made that quantum chip of his own volition his own volition as a donor to the program as somebody who's got a vested interest in its success so my... of course jeffrey knows ben jeffrey knows that this has happened and ben set him on his trajectory you've got to believe that jeffrey's perspective on this is now very much akin to his mother's 
right? Yeah, one would think. Because you she says, changed my life. We see Hannah again at the end of this episode. Yeah, we do. We get to God. see her again. I don't know how she got there, but... I don't know how she got there either. Was there an extra stock car? Public transportation. I mean, it was the 70s. Maybe public transportation was better in L.A. in the 70s. <laughs> you could actually get places in 10 minutes. Well, we don't know how long it actually was. It was long enough for the sun to go down. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was nighttime. But yeah, it, we get to see her again. And what is it? Somebody says, you did good, Casey, Ricky. Casey says, you did good, Ricky, in reference to saving her their dad. Yeah. And, and he's get that voice off screen. He always does. Yeah. That was really nice. And we're all glad that her math was off just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. A good send off. We get to see her one more time. It's a great coda. Really great coda for this character, for the story, for this whole season. Just great. And you know, now that Hannah and Jeffrey have this secret they share together about Ben, mm -hmm. this was the jumping off point, but, you know, formative years ahead. She's going to spend all this time with her mother talking about the adventures that she had with Ben and all the good that he does. And, uh, you know, outside of yeah. just the experiences that Jeffrey has had, you, you presented suddenly with a character whose whole mission has just been changing lives for the better. And, yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. So for anybody that's thinking, oh, well, that was easy from this point, it's a lifetime, 50 years of planning to do something right instead of evil black leotard man <laughs> <laughs> yeah what a great they did good job great story there and some of hannah's parting words to ben regarding the code is to remember that for a nomad a home isn't a place it's a person right right remember that in the last five minutes of the episode because uh the whole theory behind the code is that yeah did she we haven't really this? talked about that right yeah i believe hannah knew exactly what she was doing because she talks about all the good that ben has done everything you do for me for others is a gift and ben recognizes that it's a gift now and yeah. then she says home isn't a place it's a person mm -hmm. right i mm -hmm. think hannah knew exactly what this was going to do and it goes back to the previous episode talking about what addison means to ben but the understanding among those at the project, is that this code is going to create a scenario where someone can enter the accelerator and basically swap places with Ben. Ben will come back, but someone has to sacrifice and go back and take his place. Right. Magic says, well, we'll start looking for somebody, looking for a good candidate, and Addison immediately says, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, you've got This one, is right? what I actually trained to do, if you don't remember, which is a good thing that this is coming back up because it's something she's brought up a couple times this season that we've been reminded that she was supposed to be the leaper yeah and she joined quantum leap because she wanted to help people were you surprised by what happened at the end of this episode i'll have to be honest and say that it's not a fair assessment from me because before i was able to click it on i caught a piece of a headline online Ooh. all i saw was if Addison and Ben switch, and I clicked it off, and so I was assuming they were going to switch places. Like, I okay. had already, uh, well, I had that sort of spoiled for me. So, I'm not a good... But, it, but then it wasn't spoiled. <laughs> it wasn't, yeah. So, I don't know what this person was saying. Maybe they didn't finish the episode. 
(laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it leaves in a really interesting place. A real kind of reset. Going into this, we all had been told that the finale will work as a finale or a reset. Either way, and it really does. If you want to let the folks know what we're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, so she leaps. Addison leaps. And she's in the middle of a European village that is under siege, presumably during World War II. She's looking around, and who does she see? Well, she sees Ben, who has also leaped into a person in that village, and they both run up to each other and they hug. Right, well, somebody bumps into her first. Yeah. So Ben realizes, oh, she's not a hologram, even though she's all dressed, you know, and got the flippy hairdo and all that jazz. Part of me thought that when they went up to hold each other's hands, hers would go through his. Oh, God. Like the leap back? Like the leap back when Sam and Al switched places. Yeah. But no, they're both displaced from time, which means are we going to have a hologram? And if so, who? It ends with them running off together for an adventure in this village and then cut to black. And it's like, wow. Like, what a way to end it. Yeah. So many questions. So much potential. I want to see more. Yeah. Two leapers, tandem leaping out there. Yeah. It'd be really interesting to see where that goes. And so cool. And then Ian's the hologram. There you go. And finally, we get a hologram. (laughs) (laughs) But just make Ian more capable, please. Yeah, really. And we have to believe that this was Hannah's plan all along. So even Jeffrey had her coda kind of mixed up there was a point there where he says this is my mother's life's work i trust Mm -hmm. her math better than anyone yeah i I trust her more than anyone else in this building so she knew what she was doing (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean absolutely ben got home yeah home came to ben right that's the thing great just great it's one of those things where all the little verbal threads sprinkled throughout the season come back and it's like ah it's very rewarding it's it just, is that's the word i was gonna yeah. find too it's very rewarding and very successful they clearly had a plan the whole time despite what we may have thought at certain times <laughs> yeah again apologies apologies to all involved uh mm. you know they can't all be winners the episodes oh, yeah right sure but but as far as not believing there was a plan this season I was proven wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely a plan from day one to the end of the season, which is what you like to see, I guess. Yeah. It's the best we can hope for in this age, particularly where there is an expectation for ongoing storytelling, where we're always building to something. Mm -hmm. This is the best possible outcome. For that form of narrative. I yeah. Think. Where you get to the season and you can look back and say everything makes sense. Yeah. It you know, all, like it all fits like together. The, everything came together and it did so in interesting and unexpected ways. It gave us interesting new characters and scenarios and left us in a place where we are wanting more and we are excited for what comes next. And we're on the edge of our seats waiting to see if we ever get to see it. You know, yeah, that much like, is very, in other words, <laughs> write a letter to NBC and let them know we're out here watching. I'll be interested to see what the uh, Nielsen numbers are on this finale. 
It's I don't think be the show's better. been doing great broadcast-wise because of that time shift. The shift to that death slot, that Tuesday night, 10 p.m. death slot. But I do think the streaming numbers are where the magic happens. I hope they think so, too. I would encourage anybody listening who went through this season and is as happy with it as we are, like to find somebody who's a lapsed Quantum Leap viewer, say, you know what, don't worry about season one. Pick up here at the beginning of season two, watch this season, and if you don't like it by the end, I don't know. I'll take you out for dinner. Yeah, I don't want to go too far, you know? Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but the point is, you won't have to buy them dinner. They'll probably like it. Yeah. And if they don't like this finale, they're the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Not the show. I'll be happy to talk about the whole season when we come back right. in our next episode. Do a yeah, season I'm... recap. The same kinds of things we did last year, I guess. Yeah, this will be the second annual Ziggy Awards. Second annual. Hopefully not the last. I hope we get a third annual at least. What a but, um, character to watch, an MVP. Spotlight all the big hits from the season. I'll have my picks. Nate will have his picks. We'll kind of go through what were our top three episodes of the season. That's going to be harder now. Episodes. Than, yeah. It's going to be really, really hard. And I'll tell you what, the bottom three episodes, I got the bottom two episodes. The third one, I'm going to feel just like kind of bad putting it there, probably. <laughs> no, I it's think I be... got three. And we'll, got three. We'll figure it out. I mean, what a turnaround. What a... Uh, yeah. Eliza Taylor. Oh, boy. Yep. Good God. I feel like Palpatine at the end of episode one. We will watch your career with great interest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, just great job all around. Well, uh... This has been a long one. Yeah. We will be back next time with our season two recap, including the Ziggy Awards. Let us know any categories you might like us to pick for the Ziggies that we might not think of otherwise. You can write to us at oboyqlpod at gmail.com. Check us out on socials at Burn C-A-P-T-N-B-E-R-N, on Blue Sky, Martin on Threads. Nate, you've got things. <laughs> it's late, folks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I am at Action Nate, both on Blue Sky and Threads. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, guys. Listen, like, follow us on your favorite podcast apps. Folks, thanks for hanging in there with us. It's been an adventure this season, for sure. I'm Brian. And I'm Nate. And we will be here in the waiting room. Right.